If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. Tonight we're supposed to begin in Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 13. But I just want to remind you what's happened up to this point, especially if you're new and weren't here last week. In Jeremiah chapter 17, turn back to chapter 17 while keeping a finger in chapter 19. We are at the third wave about to happen of the Babylonian captivity. And the Babylonian captivity is a picture of the day of the Lord and things that are about to happen. That's why there are so many prophetic books that talk about the Babylonian captivity. How many waves did the Babylonian captivity were there? Everybody go, three. The first wave, God said, go into captivity. That's a picture of the rapture and the resurrection where we're taken out of, in that case, the city of Jerusalem where God's wrath was about to fall. And a small percentage went, and most said, now we're not going. And then a few years later, here comes Babylon again, and God says, when Babylon comes, go. And that pictures the time where in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Messiah says, when you see that abomination of desolation standing in a holy place, get out of town, I paraphrase. Go to Petra. And another portion of the children of Israel went into Babylon voluntarily because God told them to go. And the rest said, no, you can't make us go. In Jeremiah 17, God said, all right, let's, let's do this. In verse 21, it says, thus says the Lord, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day. In Exodus chapter 31, it tells us the Sabbath day is the oath, which means the sign or the mark that you worship the true and living God. And God said, if you will just keep the Sabbath, says, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. But they did not obey nor incline their ear, but made their neck stiff that they might not hear nor receive instruction. It shall be if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work in it. Then shall enter the gates of the city kings and princes, sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. So God said, if you will just do this one thing, if you will just keep the Sabbath, which is the sign that you are my people, I will not destroy Jerusalem. I will not destroy the temple. I will not destroy the Davidic throne. And this city will remain forever, and you'll always have a descendant of David sitting on the throne. Verse 27 of chapter 17 says, But if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. In chapter 18, the people respond to God. Look at verse 12. Our Bible is poorly translated. It says, and they said, this is hopeless. Actually, it says, and they said, that is of no use. That is, you're calling us to repentance is you're just wasting your breath. The next word says so, and it's not so in Hebrew. It's because. Because we will walk according to our own plans, and we will everyone obey the dictates of his evil heart. So the response to God is, you cannot tell us what to do. We will not do it. Save your breath. Quit calling us to repent. We're not going to do it. So as we come to chapter 19, 
God tells Jeremiah to take the elders out into the Hinnom Valley. Gehinnom in Hebrew, which is Gehenna in Greek, which is where we get the English word hell. It's a place where there were fires burning continuously because that's where they burned the garbage. So there were fires continuously. And that's where the people had set up the idols to Moloch where they brought the children and put their children on the outstretched arms of the idol which had a fire in its belly. They would slit the throat of the children and roll them screaming into the fire. And God said, you remember this because come judgment day, this is what you've got to look forward to. Ooh, and that brings us where we are here in chapter 19, verse 13. And the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah shall be defiled like the place of Tophet. Again, Tophet was the place where you brought all the garbage. You came out through a gate called the Dung Gate, which gives you some idea what's being brought out there. All the trash, all the stuff from the potties, etc. And Why? The next word is because. God's going to explain why that's the case. So because of all the houses on whose roofs they have burned incense to all the host of heaven. What are the host of heaven? Talking about the stars, right? The sun, the moon, and the stars. Did the people worship the sun god, the moon god, and all the host of heavens? Yes, they did. So they're burning incense on their roofs. Why on the roof? Because that's as close as they can come to the sun, moon, and stars. And they poured out drink offerings to other gods. Keep a finger here and go to Zephaniah. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, then Matthew. So if you have Matthew, go back 15 pages or so. Zephaniah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 4 through 6, but the key verse is verse 5. Zephaniah chapter 1, we're going to read verses 4 to 6, but the key verse is 5. God says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah, that's the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel went into the Assyrian captivity 120 years ago, plus. And against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. Baal is the sun god, the worship of the sun god. In Hebrew, it's Baal, and what the word means is husband. So here is the betrothed of God calling an idol husband, which is why God calls idolatry adultery. The names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests. Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops. So they would go up on their roofs, everybody up on their roofs, to burn incense to the pagan gods. Those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord. As Matthew 15 and Mark 7 said, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So they worship and swear oaths to the Lord, but, says, but they also swear by Milcom. Milcom is another term for Molech. It's an Ammonite god, the one where they kill the children and burn them in the belly of the idol. Molech, M-O-L-E-C-H, Molech. Verse 6, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. 
So God tells us specifically why the judgment's going to fall, because the people have turned away from God, turned to pagan idols. And as much as God has called them to repent and turn back to him, they refuse. They say, you're wasting your breath. We will not worship you. We will not listen to you. We will not follow you. And of course, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says, if you will not keep my commandments, you have forgotten me. Keep a finger in Jeremiah and go back to Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, God had told us what would happen if we turned away from worshiping him to worship pagan idols. Deuteronomy chapter 28. The first 14 verses are, if you do worship me and you're obedient to me, I will bless you beyond measure. Verse 15 is the, but if you don't. In fact, verse 15 begins with but, but that's not right. It's actually just and. So cross out but, it's just and. You shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God. To observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. That is God's definition of you have forgotten me or forsaken me. That all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And number 36, verse 36 says... The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. You shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. So let's go back to Jeremiah. The Lord saying, I told you before you ever came across the river that if you turn away from me and worship the pagan gods, you're going to go into captivity in a foreign land. Why did God choose Babylon? Because Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. That's Babylon. So their ancestor was called out of Babylon to come across the river to worship the true and living God. And when Abraham's ancestor said, no, we'd rather worship the gods, God said, then go back there. Go back there. See what those pagan gods do for you. What did the pagan gods do? Not a thing. Not a thing. That's the lesson he wants them to learn. Serve God, be blessed beyond measure. The crops, you just can't contain them. There's so much. The animals, they, they reproduce so fast, you don't know what to do with all the wealth. Serve the pagan gods and go hungry. He wants them to learn that lesson. But wasn't that the opposite when they went into the land of Canaan to, to conquer it? They, they had the grapes that took two men to carry and they... They were prospering, and they were evil. And then when the Hebrews came in and the mixed multitude, they just took over all of that. Yep, and everything was wonderful. For about one generation. But yep. then, you know, when they went to sinning like the former inhabitants, those pagan gods didn't prosper them, but those other people were prospering under the pagan gods. No, the others were prospering because the Lord was preparing the land for Israel's arrival. Okay. Yeah. Big difference. Big difference. Yep. Thank you. Yep, the land was flowing with milk and honey because God said it would. Just like it is today. So back to Jeremiah 19, verses 14 and 15. You have to be read together. It says, Then Jeremiah came from Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy. And he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Remember what they're doing in the courts of the Lord's house. 
They put up pagan idols. They're in the courts of the temple worshiping pagan idols. They have turned their backs to God to worship the rising sun. Verse 15. Thus says the Lord of hosts. When you see that phrase, Lord of hosts, Adonai Zalaot in Hebrew, it means what? There's an end times element to this. That it refers to the Lord leading the armies of heaven in judgment. So like I said, the Babylon captivity teaches us about the day of the Lord, the tribulation period that is to come very shortly. So thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold. What does behold mean? This is irrelevant. Don't worry about it. No, be shut up and listen. This is really important. Behold, I will bring on this city and on all her towns. Towns refer to the unwalled villages. There were three around Jerusalem. There was Bethany, Bethphage, and Bethlehem. All the doom that I have pronounced against it. Just like God warned in Deuteronomy 28 before they ever crossed over the Jordan River. Because they have stiffened their necks. Do you realize what that symbolism is? How many of you have ridden a horse? How do you get the horse to turn? You pull on the rein and turn its neck and it kind of follows where the head goes. God says, I'm yanking on the reins and you won't turn. They've stiffened their necks. It says that. That means here's why. It wasn't an accident. They did it on purpose. That they might not hear my word. The word in here in Hebrew, Shema, is the same word as obey. So in other words, they don't want to follow where God is leading. And they have all kinds of false prophets in Jerusalem at the time telling the people that God will not destroy this city. It's got God's very name on it. You guys realize that, right? You've been to Jerusalem. It actually has a sheen which is short for El Shaddai, in the topography of the city. So they say God put his name on it. He's got his house here. God will not allow his house to be destroyed while he inhabits it. Well, that was true. God departed from the temple before it was destroyed. And when did he return to it? He did. Hasn't yet. That's right. Will he? Yes, in Ezekiel 43, but not till then. So the reason all this judgment is coming upon Jerusalem and Judah is because they chose to reject the word of God. In Jeremiah 17, we read it. God said, if you will just keep the Sabbath, which is the sign that you worship the true and living God. Well, I said that, but I didn't show it to you. Since we have some new people, let's go back. Go back to where? Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. I like to have people put their eyes on it to see. It really is in there. Verse 12. Everybody talks about the mark of the beast. Where do you find the mark of the beast in the Bible? Revelation chapter 13. The word used here in Exodus chapter 31 is the same word that means mark or sign. It's the word ot in Hebrew, O-T-H. It's like the wedding ring. How do you know I'm married? That's it. Verse 12, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, that word saying means what follows is a quote. These words came directly out of the Lord's own lips. 
Speak also to the children of Israel. He didn't say speak to Israel, did he? He said to the children of Israel, and that's a different thing. When Israel came out of Egypt, did they come out alone, or was there a great mixed multitude? The mixed multitude grafted in there all together referred to as the children of Israel. God doesn't care who your parents are. Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, which means forever, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it's holy to you. Holy means set aside, is set apart unto God, different from the world. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. The word everyone means Jew or Gentile, didn't make any difference. Whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from amongst his people. Work shall be done. It's actually work may be done for six days. But the seventh, and if you know biblical Hebrew, the seventh is different from a seventh. The seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, and that's not what the Hebrew says either. It says whoever does, does any work on the day of the Sabbath, that is on the day that God rested. What happens? Ooh. He shall surely be put to death. The wages of sin is death. Okay, we got it. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. What does perpetual mean? Never ending. It's a sign between me and the children of Israel for how long? Forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he Shabbated and was refreshed. How do we know for sure that it includes the Gentiles and not just the Jews? It kind of says it. Kind of says it. And in Exodus chapter 20, where we give the Ten Commandments, is the only one that mentions the Gentiles specifically. But also Isaiah chapter 56 says, you won't come into the Messianic kingdom if you don't keep Shabbat. You don't hear that from a lot of pulpits, do you? But look at Isaiah chapter 56. And remember that Messiah quotes from this portion of Isaiah 56 in the Gospels. The first two verses, and then we'll skip over to verse 6. Thus says the Lord. Who said it? Lord said it. Keep justice. That word keep means to guard, to protect, and it's a commandment. And do righteousness, for my Yeshua is about to come. That's what the word literally is in Hebrew. My Yeshua is about to come. And my righteousness to be revealed. Twice in Jeremiah, the Lord is referred to as Adonai Zedekinu, the Lord our righteousness. Verse 2 says, Blessed is the man who does this, and the Son of Man lays hold on it. The English lets us down because we think those two words, man, are the same, and they're not. First one is, blessed is the man, that's the Hebrew word Enosh, E-N-O-S-H, and it refers to the Jewish people. It's about to come, and the son of man, the second man is Adam, A-D-A-M, means anyone and everyone who descends from Adam. So that's Jew and Gentile, everybody. Who lays hold on, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Doing any evil refers to all of the commandments, but which commandment does God separate and lay out separately? 
just like he does in Jeremiah 17, the one that is the sign that we worship the true and living God. Verse 6 says, also the sons of the foreigner, that Hebrew word is nekar, N-E-K-A-R, nekar. So we're not talking about anybody born Jewish. These are the Gentiles from the pagan world. Who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and all fast my covenant. My covenant refers to all the commandments, but he sets the Sabbath apart separately to emphasize it. Even them I'll bring to my holy mountain. A mountain in prophecy is a kingdom. Yes, Miss Mullaney. Mine says defiling. defiling so Means not keeping it. Same thing. Yeah, same thing. Even them I'll bring to my holy mountain. How do we know God intended it to be forever and not till Messiah came? Well, that's Isaiah 66. And then we'll get back to Jeremiah. Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 is about the second coming of the Lord, which is yet future. Verse 17 is the one that says, if you're eating a ham sandwich when he returns, he's going to kill you himself, personally. But we want to start in verse 22. Which says, for as the new heavens and the new earth, which I shall make, shall remain before me, says the Lord. That means forever. So shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. So throughout eternity future, Everyone is going to keep Shabbat. Or you're not going to be in the kingdom. So back to Jeremiah 19. That was verses 14 and 15. Verse 15 again says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Adonai Zavaot, in times prophecy. So what they were doing in Jerusalem at the time that God's about to destroy every man, woman, and child there is the same thing you read in Revelation 16 where in the latter part of the tribulation period men will be cursing God to his face. They know the judgments are coming from God. They refuse to repent. They curse him to his face. The very same thing happens here. Behold, I will bring on the city and all our towns all the doom that I pronounce against it because here's why. Did God ever call them to repent? Over and over again. And they said, stop wasting your breath. We'll do what we want. Says they, they have stiffened their necks that they might not hear my words. Chapter 20. Verse 1. Now Pashur. Take note of that name, Pashur. It's a very common name. You will find the name in several places in the scriptures and not referring to the same person. In fact, I think in chapter 21 we'll find another pasture and it's not the same guy. People get all confused when they see a name like that and assume it's all the same person. And it's not. So this is now pasture the son of Emer, the priest who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord. By chief governor, what they mean is he is the one in, in charge of the temple guards. The guards who kept charge of who comes in, who comes out, etc. Heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. How did he hear it? 
Is Jeremiah being really quiet in the corner or is he shouting in the gates of Jerusalem? Of course he heard it. Now being the priest who was in charge of the temple guards and hearing these are the words of the Lord, how should he have responded? With open ears, right? He should have said, oh, if the Lord's speaking, I want to hear. Instead he said, I'm going to kill you, Jeremiah, if you don't shut your mouth. Let's read. That's what happens. Verse 2, then Pastor struck Jeremiah the prophet. Very simple, right? Struck. It makes you think maybe slapped him a little. No, it's talking about beating him with the whip, with the bone and metal and glass in it, the 40 lashes. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy 25. The cat of nine tails was a terrible thing to get beaten with. In fact, God limits the number of lashes that can be given because people otherwise wouldn't survive it. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 1 to 3. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 1 through 3. It says, if there is a dispute between men and they come to court, that the judges may judge them, and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence, according to his guilt with a certain number of blows. Forty blows he may give him, and no more. If you remember in the New Testament, they dropped it down to 39 in case they miscounted. Lest he should exceed this and beat him with many blows above these, and your brother be humiliated in your sight. That's what Pasher is doing to Jeremiah. Instead of saying, oh, let's hear the word of the Lord. Let's beat this guy until he stops calling us to repent. Struck Jeremiah and put him in the stocks. Well, not actually the stocks, but into prison. If you were in England in 1611 translating the Bible, where did they put prisoners? They put them in stocks. So, okay. But it was in the prison. They were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. Let's go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and see where the same word is used, but translated differently. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Verse 10. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer. Seer means prophet. Asa is the king. And put him in prison. There's the same word. Only translated properly here. For he was enraged at him because of this. Because of what? Because he's prophesying. What did all the prophets prophesy? Repent. What did the people not want to hear? Repent. And they suppressed some of the people at that time. Let's look also at Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Verse 26. Jeremiah 29, 
which is right after Jeremiah 28, but you probably figured that out. Verse 26, I know. The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet, that you should put him in prison and in the stocks. In this verse, the same word that's translated stocks before is the word prison. And then they translated the word stocks properly from a different Hebrew word there in verse 26. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 20 to verse 3. And it happened on the next day that Pasher brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. We're going to say out of prison. Then Jeremiah said to him, the Lord has not called your name Pashur. Pashur means great noble. Great noble. He says, God doesn't call you a great noble. Did God see Pashur give the lashes to Jeremiah, who was speaking on behalf of the Lord? Yeah, the Lord saw it. Because you want Megor Misaviv. Megor Misaviv. The word Megor means terror. And Misaviv, you all know the word Saviv means roundabout. So terror from roundabout or terror from all sides. Meaning Pashur, who was in charge of the guards at the temple, was a terror to any prophet who dared speak on behalf of the Lord honestly. So how would you like to have a prophet tell you something like that? God has called you a terror from every side. Mm. No, no. Verse 4, for thus says the Lord, behold, oh, there's that word again, which means you better take note of this, son. I will make you a terror, that's the word Magor, to yourself and to all your friends. How? Because Pashur is one of those telling the people, don't listen to the prophets. We're going to be just fine. God would never let anything happen to Jerusalem. We're going to be fine. And they shall fall by the sword of their enemies. So he said, you and all your friends who listen to you are going to lay dead in the streets of Jerusalem. And your eyes shall see it. So they die first and you see it, then you follow. Now I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword. God has already said there will be how many people left when this is done? None. Not a one. How many disobedient sinners are left at the end of the tribulation period when the battle of Armageddon is over? None. Not a one. So again we see the picture. And of course the reason is, instead of repenting, you beat and imprison Jeremiah who was calling the people to repent. Keep a finger here, go back to 2 Kings chapter 25. 2 Kings chapter 25. You notice 2 Kings chapter 25 is where Judah is totally 
subjugated. Let's start in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. What does the siege wall prevent? People from going in and out of the city? Well, where's all the food growing? Outside of the city. Where's the water? Outside of the city. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. King Zedekiah is the last king to sit in Judah until Messiah returns to rule and reign. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Well, they've done pretty good. They made it from the 10th month to the fourth month. That's what? Six months or so. They had that much food in the city, but now that it's gone, uh-oh. Verse 4, Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city, and the king went by the way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters and took him to Babylon. So the last thing he sees is the death of all of his sons. Back to Jeremiah. Chapter 20, verse 5. Moreover, as if that wasn't bad enough, I will deliver all the wealth of this city. How much of it? All of it. All its produce and all its precious things. All the treasures of the kings of Judah I will give into the hand of their enemies who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. Keep a finger here. Go back to Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39. Let's start in verse 1. Start in verse 1. Yeah, do I need to talk a little louder? I'll get a little closer to the microphone. All right. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures, there was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, 
What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, Oh, they came to me from a far country, from Babylon. Meaning they're no threat, they're no danger, they're so far away. Yeah, not so far, were they? No. He said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Not just the word of the Lord, but the word of the Lord of hosts. End times prophecy, yes. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. For the end times, Zechariah chapter 14 says, All the armies come and they come and they do what? They take all the booty away. They take all the spoils away. Verse 7, I shall take away some of your sons, that is your descendants. Remember in Hebrew the word son means any male descendant of any generation. Who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. What does Hezekiah do? Look at verse 8. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken to me is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. So he says, it's not going to happen until after I'm dead, so who cares? Yeah, okay, I bet his descendants cared a whole bunch. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 20. That was verse 5. We're up to verse 6. And you pass sure. So this is personal. Who's delivering the message? Jeremiah, whom Pashur beat rather personally. And you, Pashur, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die. And be buried there, which means you're not coming back. When the children of Israel are allowed to come back to land, you're not coming back. You and all your friends, to whom you have prophesied what? Lies. So yes, Pasher is a priest, but he's also been one of the false prophets. Verse 7. Now Jeremiah is going to speak to the Lord. He's done speaking to Pasher. In verse 7 he says, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded for you are stronger than I, and have prevailed. I'm in derision daily, and everyone mocks me. What's Jeremiah saying? Did Jeremiah stand up at the beginning and say, Lord, Lord, can I please be a prophet? Oh no, turn back to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah didn't want to have any part of being a prophet. We have so many people today that want to be prophets. Yeah, if you read the Old Testament, not a one of the Old Testament prophets said, Lord, can I do it please? They all said, oh no, this doesn't go well. So, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 10. Here's the call of Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. What does that say about abortion today? God knew Jeremiah before he was even formed. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Sanctified means I set you apart unto me. I ordained you a prophet to the nations, not just to Israel. 
Jeremiah's going to have to prophesy to every nation in the world. Then said I, ah, oh, Lord God. That's not a can I please. That's a, oh, no, no, really. He says, behold, I cannot speak for I'm a youth. He obviously didn't read this argument that Moses had with God because it didn't do Moses much good either, did it? No. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. Just like Isaiah 6, huh? And the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. So back to Jeremiah 20. This is what Jeremiah is saying is, Lord, this wasn't my idea. He says, You're stronger than I and have prevailed. I'm in derision daily. What does it mean to be in derision? They mock me. They make fun of me. They persecute me. Did you see them beat me with a cat of nine tails? Everyone mocks me. Verse 8. For, what does for mean? Because. When I spoke, I cried out. I shouted, violence and plunder. What does that mean? The Babylonians are going to come. They're going to do violence. They're going to plunder. Why did he say such things? Because God put the words in his mouth and that's all he could speak. What if he'd been like the false prophets and preached peace and safety? (laughs) What does 1 Thessalonians 5 say? When they say peace and safety, then comes sudden destruction. Because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. He says, it was because I was speaking your words that they persecuted me, that they mocked me. He's kind of saying, Lord, haven't you noticed? Yeah, the Lord's noticed. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, referring to the Lord, nor speak any more in his name. So Jeremiah wanted to shut up. But you know what? When God tells you to go and speak... You can't shut up. You can go fishing. But that doesn't work very well, does it? But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, meaning I couldn't not spit it out. It was shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. He wanted to quit. He wanted to pack up and go home. But he just couldn't do it. Verse 10, 4. What does 4 mean? Because. I heard many mocking. That's why he was afraid. That's why he wanted to quit. Fear on every side. Much like Megormis Aviv, right? Report, they say, and we'll report it. We're going to tell them what you said. They're going to come beat you again. They're going to put you back in prison. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, Why did they want him to stumble? 
What if one of his prophecies don't come to pass? Ah, then you say he's a false prophet. Don't listen to him. So they're looking for him to make some mistake. Did they do that to Messiah? Did they try and find any way to accuse him? Yeah, what they find? Nothing. Perhaps he can be induced. Maybe if we offer him some silver under the table, he'll stop all this repentance nonsense. Then we'll prevail against him. We will take our revenge on him. And when you see in verse 10, that fear on every side, that's not translated as well as it should be. That is the name Magor Misaviv from verse 3, which was terror on every side. If you think fear and terror is the same thing, Hamas Hamas is terror. Mm -hmm. But here they use Magor for terror. Right, it's two different words. Yeah. I like when God uses Hamas, but he doesn't always use Hamas. Verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. He wasn't caught up in praise and worship right then, was he? Uh, Not quite. Therefore, because the Lord is with me, And because the Lord is a mighty, awesome one, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. So they're they're waiting for me to fall. I won't fall. They will. I won't be proved false. They will be proved false. So they'll fall, not me. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble and they will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed. The word ashamed generally means that what they're saying will not come to pass. For they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. He's prophesying. It's written right here in a book. Their error never has been forgotten. It was written down for all of us to see. Verse 12 says, let me unpin a couple of these things here. Verse 12 says, But, O Lord of hosts, how many times is he going to use that phrase, Lord of hosts? Over and over and over again. Because there are end times prophecy elements in all of these things. You think also because he... Maybe God gives him a vision of the destruction that's coming? Oh yes, he gets a vision of the destruction that's coming. But also to let us know that when Babylon comes and destroys the city, it's God who brought him. But he actually, in a sense, is literally seeing that in a vision or something. Because Yeah, he literally sees it. This really sounds like terror is coming. Yeah. People repent. Yeah. They mock him. But he's saying, no, I see it. It's coming. Yeah. Repent before it's too late. Zephaniah is going to say the very same thing. That there's going to come a time when it's too late to repent. That's what we're hearing in America right now. Repent. Nope. So verse 12 says, But, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, 
Meaning, Lord, you know between me and them which one of us is doing your will, which one of us speaks your word. Let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. So why did, what's that, Miss Mullaney? Yes. Yeah. So God knows which of these two parties is being righteous. So on that note, Melania, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 20. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 20. We have talked about this recently. Because of Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 20. It says, But, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, meaning judging between me and the false prophets, testing the mind and the heart, not just the knowledge that we speak, but the reason we speak it. Mind and the heart. What does yours say? R-E-I-N-S. Reigns. Reigns, uh-huh. It's a similar concept. So it's supposed to mean mind. It means your innermost thoughts. That's what the word reigns is referring to in your translation of the Bible. It doesn't mean reigns like a horse. It means your innermost thoughts. Okay. Yeah. And the heart doesn't mean to think pump and blood either. They didn't have grace anatomy. They just mean the motivation and reasons that you do what you do. It says, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have revealed my cause. So it also back at Deuteronomy 32. God tests the thoughts and the heart behind the thoughts. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Was that word reigns like a King James uh, yeah. word? Yeah. It's an old English word that doesn't mean what it used to mean. Correct. Just like in the old King James, when you see the word meat, M-E-A-T, it's talking about wheat, not animal flesh. People get all confused on that one. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense. That's the Lord speaking. So Jeremiah is not to pick up a whip and whip past sure. That's not his job to get vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. Maybe not today but their judgment will come. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. So the Lord says, when Babylon comes, Pashur is going to see his friends slaughtered, then he's going to go into captivity, he's going to die there. He'll never be coming back to the land. Let's look at the New Testament, the Romans chapter 12. Doesn't normally take us this long to go to the New Testament to look something up, but. I was wondering. <laughs> when you're in Jeremiah, it's hard to get to the New Testament. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not all that hard. Just a few pages over. Yeah. As Mike Leslie used to say, whatever verse he tells you we're going to be on, he's lying. We're going to be all over the Bible. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it's written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So it hasn't changed. Jeremiah would like to pick up a whip and give a few lashes back, but God says, no, 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 no. That's my job, not yours. Go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 30. Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 30. For we know him, referring to the Lord, who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then, as Miss Mullaney said, we need to talk a little bit about that word, test. Is it a written test, multiple choice, true or false? The worst test I ever had was a criminal law test in law school. And it was true, false. And none of the answers were all true or all false. You had to guess whether it was more true or more false. He was just mean. Okay. Of course. <laughs> The word test. Let's go back to Jeremiah. Chapter 20. We are in verse 12. You who test the righteous. That word test there is bachain. B-A-C-H-E-N. Bachain. And we're going to look at some other places where that word is used. Go back to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. It gives us a practical example of what this word means. Genesis 42 verses 15 and 16. Jacob is in Egypt, right? His brothers have come down to get grain. Verse 15, it says, In this manner you shall be tested. Same word. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. What is that youngest brother? Joseph. Benjamin. 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 Joseph and Benjamin were the two sons of Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> it starts with an R. Okay. So verse 16 says, send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there's any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So that's what this word test means, to put it to the test to determine whether something is true or whether it is false. 
this. Go to First Chronicles 29. First Chronicles 29, verse 17. Solomon's about to be king. Verse 17, it says, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. So what kind of test are we looking for? Uprightness versus lawlessness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. Go to the book of Psalm, chapter 7, verse 9. It is a common statement to see God test the hearts and the minds. Psalm chapter 7, verse 9. Psalm chapter 7, verse 9. Mm -hmm. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. How do we know who's wicked and who's just? It says, for the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. So God determines the just from the wicked based upon their actions and the reasons for their actions. Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests what? The hearts. Just as silver is refined, it says in Zechariah chapter 13. Silver is refined by putting it through the fire how many times? Mm -hmm. Seven times. How many years are there in the tribulation period? Seven years. Just as silver is refined. Speaking of that, go to Zechariah chapter 13. Wait, can I ask a question? Go ahead, Penny. Does that mean that David's failures were as, as far as, you know, with Bathsheba and every time he failed, of course, he repented and that made him a man after God's heart. But were those tests to see if he would do that? No. No, the testing is God will look at the heart to see what did you do and were your motives pure. You can't do something wicked for the right reason, but you can do something good for the wrong reason. Like Messiah talks about the Pharisees and the scribes who stand on the street corners with the tzitzit dragging the ground, making long prayers so people will pat them on the back. 
So they may be doing good things like praying, but they're doing it for the wrong reason. That is to be praised by men. Praying, giving, all those things. The scripture says, let your left hand not know what the right hand is doing and you're given. Yes, Melanie. What's that? We are going to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9. Because of the reference to refining silver and gold, well, this is where Messiah talks about it. And relates it to the tribulation period. It's the same word, Bachan. Verse 9 says, I will bring the one-third through the fire. Fire is a picture of judgment. It's talking about the seven years of the tribulation period. Or refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Notice the phrase, they will call on my name and I will answer them. Proverbs 28 verse 9 says, if you turn away your ear from hearing the law, the Torah, even your prayer is an abomination. So if God is hearing their prayer, what does this tell us about them? They have repented, they have turned back to God to walk in righteousness. Give you a rabbit trail again. Yeah, give me an Ibex trail. Rabbits <laughs> so, run clean. I, I was discussing the other day, and I get confused as, as much as I have studied Scripture. Okay. At this period that we're just reading about in that verse 9, has the rapture already occurred? Right, rapture occurs before the seven years. So that means that no one who's a Christian, or that's a bad word, no one who was repented and following and obeying God. Right. Is left on the earth. Correct. And now the the plagues, the, all the the bowls, the you know like seals, the, trumpets, and bowl judgments, the, the judgments are, are meant to call people to repentance. And you're having uh, people miraculously from all over the world are beginning to hear, actually, right, and repent. Right, there's 144,000 Jews going out preaching the gospel. There are the two witnesses at the temple, and there's an angel circling the world preaching the gospel continuously. Like a loudspeaker. Yep. But at this time now, we assume that the, the people in the grave, the righteous, and those who are righteous, who are living, have all been taken away. Correct. And when do they get their real bodies? Is it a little thousand years, or is it when they come back with Yeshua? No, they get their bodies on the way up. So when Turn to 1 Corinthians chapters 15. It says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and we shall be changed. That's yes. when the body gets changed from mortal to immortal. And the souls that are under the altar in... That's in Revelation 6. Those are martyrs who died after the rapture and resurrection. They were not saved at the okay. rapture and resurrection. That's, that was the confusion. Yeah. Too. So there's still some that don't have bodies. They're spiritual beings like uh, whatever. That's because they died during the tribulation period okay. as martyrs. And then is it they get resurrected in Revelation 20 at the end of the tribulation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That, it's so easy to get that confused. It's you know, yep. not easy. In Zephaniah chapter 2, we're going to go over all the scriptures on the rapture and its timing and... We're going to go through all of them. 
including all the ones I normally go through and a couple I normally don't. I thought it would be even more thorough. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 12. No, chapter 20. Verse 12. But you, O Lord of hosts, test the righteous and see the mind and heart. The false prophets, like Pashur, are going to fail. And they're going to fall under God's judgment. But Jeremiah, who's doing what God has asked him to do, will be vindicated. Okay, verse 13. You know how sometimes I get sidetracked with an Ibex trail. Y'all go, no, never, uh-huh. The first phrase in verse 13 is, sing to the Lord. Then it says, praise the Lord, which is just one Hebrew word, hallelujah. For he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of evildoers. And that sing to the Lord just jumped off the page. And I wanted to see how many other scriptures use that phrase, sing to the Lord. So let's go back and start with Exodus chapter 15. Sing to the Lord is going to be very relevant when we come to Revelation chapter 5. Huh? When they sing the new song. Yeah. So Exodus chapter 15 is the song of Moses. Was Moses a prophet? Oh yeah. Exodus chapter 15. Verse 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. It's called the Song of Moses. Where in the New Testament do you see the phrase, the Song of Moses? Revelation, Revelation chapter 15. So this is going to be the Song of the Saints. And spoke saying, what does that word saying mean? What follows is a quote, meaning since we're going to sing it in the kingdom, God wants to give us the words here so we can be practicing. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. In the tribulation period, where Satan is at war with God, is God sitting up there afraid he might lose? No, not at all. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. That rider is called Pharaoh. You've all seen the movie, The Ten Commandments. Now Pharaoh's sitting up there on a rock as his army gets drowned. In the Bible, he's drowned with them. In Bible days, the king led the army. He didn't send the army out like military leaders do today. The generals stay in the Pentagon and send the younger people out to die. The king led the people, and he died. And that horse on the rider, that rider on the horse should make you think of Revelation chapter 6. The very first seal is the false Messiah on the white horse. Pharaoh was the picture of the false Messiah all the way back in Exodus. Now let's go to Exodus 15 verse 21. Exodus chapter 15 verse 21. The song of Moses has ended. And in verse 21, Miriam, who is the sister of Moses, who is a prophetess, is going to echo back. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, 
for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Miriam with the timbrels and the dance. How many of you have heard songs where the guys will sing a verse and the women will echo? And that's what's happening here. Is she's taken this one verse as being the central part of the song of Moses. And that's sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Go to the book of Judges chapter 5. Moses is dead. The children of Israel have gone into the promised land. Joshua led them. Then after Joshua come the judges for 400 years and then come the kings. Judges chapter 5 verse 3. Deborah, who's a prophetess, and Barak, the son of Avinoam, sang on that day, saying. Verse 3. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. If your Bible doesn't have a thee before God of Israel, just write one in there. The God of Israel. So who does Deborah and Barak want to be singing praises to the Lord? Everyone. All the kings, all the princes, all the nations, everyone. When will the whole world sing praises to the Lord our God? But in the Messianic kingdom. Yep, so it's a good thing she's a prophetess. 1 Chronicles 16. First Chronicles 16. Psalm 40 verse 7 says, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. This entire book is about Messiah. The salvation of fallen mankind through the shed blood in Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection. First Chronicles 16 verse 23. It's a psalm of thanksgiving written by David. David was king in Israel. Was he also a prophet? He was, in fact. And it says, sing to the Lord whom? All the earth. Proclaim the good news. Good news is a term for the gospel. Of his salvation, of his Yeshua. That's our Messiah. What does the name Yeshua mean? Salvation. From day to day, meaning every day. So throughout the kingdom and into eternity future, the entire world is going to sing praises to the Lord day in and day out. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Verse 21. Second Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 21. When he consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness, 
as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Ki leolam chasdo, for his mercy endures forever. Isn't this kind of strange? He has people go in front of the army into battle, singing praises to the Lord our God. How do you think the Lord responded? With great victory, huh? Let's go to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. Whoops, I have a question or comment out there from Go to Meeting Land. Let's see. Couldn't doing something bad for the right reason be like killing in self-defense? Killing in self-defense is not something bad. In fact, there are times we're commanded to defend our families and ourselves. Some people's Bibles say in Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt not kill, but that's not what the Hebrew says. Hebrew says thou shalt not commit murder. Murder is the unlawful killing of a human being without. Psalm 13, verse 6. Who wrote this psalm? David. It's David. And it says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. If you go back to verse 1 to see what the circumstances are, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And the answer is no. Once David repented, the Lord turned his favor back to him. And then David sings to the Lord forever. Because that should be our reaction when God shows us such love and mercy as to forgive us and to restore us. How should we react? We should sing to the Lord. Psalm 95, verse 1. So far, every one of the scriptures yeah. we used to sing in the charismatic music. Is that right? Every one of them had a, had a team. <coughs> Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Who is the rock of our salvation? That's our Messiah, Yeshua. And our Messiah, Yeshua, the rock of our salvation, is the Lord. And in verse 3 it says, For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. Is that really referring to our Messiah, Yeshua? The answer is absolutely. Psalm 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. That's the same words as in Revelation chapter 5. But sing to the Lord all the earth. So this is a prophecy of the time when all the earth is going to be in the Messianic kingdom singing praises to the Lord our God. Verse 4, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Psalm 96, verse 2. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. So why are we singing that new song? 
because God has provided a method of salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Messiah, Yeshua, and he's offered that salvation to whom? Whosoever will may come. None of these songs are mourning. No. They're all songs of rejoicing. And that's the whole point of this. Sing to the Lord is rejoicing. Having a grateful heart. A loving heart. One that just can't shut up singing. Psalm 98 verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Again, referring to Revelation chapter 5. For the Lord has done marvelous things. What did he do? His right hand and his holy arm, those who turn from Messiah, have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. Amen. Psalm 98 verse 5. Sing to the Lord with the harp. With a harp and the sound of a psalm. With trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. When does the Lord take on the title of the King? Not till Revelation chapter 4. Always before that, he's the Prince. But at the rapture and resurrection is the coronation of Messiah. It's part of the teaching of the Feast of Trumpets. Psalm 104. Yeah, we're almost done. Verse 33. Psalm 104, verse 33. Sometimes you have to read between the lines. Psalm 104, verse 33 says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. And the word live in Hebrew, the word life is chaim, it's plural. Because there's life in this world and in the world to come. So when it says, I'll sing to the Lord as long as I live, means through eternity future. Through eternal life. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Psalm 147. Verse 7. Why do we sing so much? Sing to the Lord with what? Thanksgiving. That doesn't mean the turkey celebration. It means with thanksgiving in our hearts. Sing praises on the harp to our God. That's going to be interesting in the kingdom. How many notes are there in an octave? Eight. But on a Davidic harp, there's ten. So it'll be interesting to see how the melodies change. Psalm 149, verse 1. Praise the Lord. In Hebrew, that's simply hallelujah. Sing to the Lord a new song. You keep seeing that emphasis on the new song. You see that all through the book of Revelation. And his praise in the assembly of the saints. What characterizes saints according to Revelation 14, 12? Keep the commands of God and the faith of Yeshua. Not an or. Hmm. Two more references. Isaiah 12, 5. 
Isaiah 12 takes place during the Messianic kingdom with Messiah dwelling in our midst. As you come to Isaiah 12, you notice verse 3, which is the source of the Simchat Beit HaShoeva, house of the water pouring, from John chapter 7, verse 37 and following, where Messiah stood up and said, He who believes in me, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Notice it refers there in verse 3 to the wells of salvation. But we're here for verse 5. It says, Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. But that's not what the Hebrew says. So let me let you turn to it. So you can pick up your pencil. Should say, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. Make this known in all the earth. Meaning, sing his praises everywhere. To everyone who will listen. Verse 2 is a good song, too. Yes, sure is. Isaiah 42.10. Isaiah 42.10 Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. Yep, so who does God want to be singing his praises? His people. His people. Everyone. Jew and Gentile alike. Shore to shore and pole to pole. God loves to hear your songs. Back to Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 13, because that's where we started. There seemed to be a progression from Moses and uh, Miriam. Uh huh. And, and what they were singing for to where we're going here in Isaiah. It's a, it's a progression from something going on here to something going on there. Yeah, it's a progression from God delivered us from captivity to Egypt through the shed blood of the Lamb to. God delivered us from our captivity to sin through the shed blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's exactly where I'm going. Yep. Remember Messiah said, when you do the Passover in the future, don't just remember the exodus from Egypt. Remember what I'm about to do for you. The exodus in Egypt was simply a picture of Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection and how he sets us free. You can get your nickel afterwards. Thank you. All right. Back to Jeremiah chapter 20. That was verse 13, which says, Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Isn't that the same thing? No. Actually, it's not. The most perfect kind of praise to the Lord comes from studying his word and being obedient to it. Doing what he told us to do. Because loving, uh huh. He said, if you love me, comma, keep my commandments. Do keeping commandments save us? No. Salvation is by faith. But if you love me, he said, keep my commandments. Says, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of evildoers. This is Jeremiah singing, they beat me with a whip, they throw me in prison, but God's not going to let them kill me. God's going to preserve my life and I'm going to sing praises to him for he has delivered me from death. Think of the Exodus. When God delivered Israel from Egypt, he delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted to kill them all. 
Yep. Is to live the life of the poor. Verse 14, before I get all philosophical. I'm like quoting Job coming up. Yep. Let me just make sure I don't overlook a note. Aha. Uh -huh. Let me give you another note. For those of you who are taking notes. In verse 13 it says, Sing to the Lord. Those two words, the Lord, in English, is actually just one word in Hebrew. But that phrase in English appears in our English New King James Version of the Bible 5,951 times. 5,514 of those are in the Old Testament. Give that number again. Yep. The total is 5,951. For the Old Testament, it's 5514. In the New Testament, it's 411 times. And those 411 times are referring to our Messiah, Yeshua. So what do you think they are in the Old Testament? Same thing. Same thing. But he hadn't been born yet. Mm, the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Okay, on to verse 14. Before I get too philosophical. Of course there's not much. Okay. Verse 14. Cursed be the day in which I was born. Wait a minute. This shocked me. He's just singing praises to the Lord. And now he's saying. Cursed be the day in which I was born. He wishes he'd never been born. Because even though the Lord has promised to save his life. God didn't promise to make his life easy. There's all kinds of prosperity preachers out there saying, whoa, whoa, if you'll do all this, that, and the other, you'll have an easy life. Of No, God never promised an easy life. And Jeremiah knows his life is not going to be a bed of roses from here on out. He says, let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. So Jeremiah laments the day of his own birth. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. You guys know that there's only two birthdays celebrated in the Bible, and they're both by pagans. Ecclesiastes. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon. So it's right after Proverbs, before Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. Here's what the Bible has to say. It says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. What he means by that is, on the day we're born, what have we accomplished in life? Not a thing. But on the day of our death, we have accomplished everything for the Lord in this life that we'll ever be able to do. Did we live for God or didn't we? And look at the end of Ecclesiastes, the very last two verses. How many people have sat through philosophy class after philosophy class asking the question, what's the purpose in life? It's right here in the Bible. 
Verse 13 says, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The word matter there is devar. It means the whole word. What's it all boil down to? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. And the word for means because. Here's why. Because God will bring every work into judgment. That word work is ma'aseh. It means everything we did. Including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So on the day that we die, our record is shut. It's sealed until the day of judgment when it's opened. And God says, let's see how you did. For anyone listening around the world, there is, For anyone listening around the world, there is a counterpoint. Because isn't there a scripture that talks about a woman in labor suffering, but then she rejoices because the child is born? Yeah, she rejoices, not the child. But if everybody around the, you know, it's a, there is joy in a birth. Yeah, there is joy in the birth of a child. Absolutely. But anyhow, it, it's not all, I wish I'd never been born. <laughs> no, but it was for Jeremiah. Because yeah. he's really suffering. He's not in the well yet, though, is he? No. Not yet. No, he's just been beaten and thrown in prison. He's behind Paul so far. Yeah. Paul's a good example of the fact that God never promised us a rose garden. That's right. In fact, they should make a song like that. That's okay. Right. I beg your pardon, Paul. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 15. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father saying a male child has been born to you making him very glad. There's a little story behind this that the, the sages of old had to fill in for us. Remember Jeremiah is a priest. Pashur is a priest. They say Pashur is the one who brought news to his father that Jeremiah was born. So at the time, Pasher was rejoicing over the birth of the child that he's just beaten and thrown into prison. I wasn't there, but that's what they say anyway. Verse 16. And let that man, again, the sages say is Pasher, be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They were cast into the fire. What is Jeremiah asking the Lord to do with Pashur? Throw him into the lake of fire, Lord. Come on, come on. Says, let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon. Verse 17. Because he did not kill me from the womb that my mother might have been my grave and her womb always enlarged with me. So before I was born, he should have just killed me because he's trying to do it now and it sure would have saved me a lot of hurt, what the prophet's saying. Verse 18 says, Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame? He comes to realize later he has a purpose in being born. And that was to be the Lord's prophet, to preach repentance. Were there any who listened? Yes, there were some who listened, some who repented, some whose lives were delivered. How many people do you have to lead into the kingdom of heaven before it's a happy day? 
The angels in heaven rejoice when there's just one. We still have a couple of minutes, so let's start chapter 21, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent him. Zedekiah, remember, is the last king of Judah before the captivity. The one whose sons were slain before his eyes, then his eyes were plucked out. So the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent him to Pashur, the son of Melchiah. That's not the same Pashur of chapter 20. That's why they have to tell you the son of so-and-so. Today, in this world, if I say, James said, what does that mean to you? Nothing. Nothing. But if I say, my son James said, now you know what I'm talking about. That's why they had to say, Pastor, son of Melchiah. And Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, saying, is that Zephaniah who wrote the book of Zephaniah? And the answer is no. Zephaniah means hidden by the Lord. So the names are all very prophetic. Saying. What does that word saying mean? What follows is a quote. So Zedekiah sent him to Bashur. The Lord gave him this word. Verse 2. Please inquire of the Lord. This is what the king asked him to do. Please inquire of the Lord for us. For Nebuchadnezzar. Some of your Bibles say Nebuchadrezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is from the Hebrew. Nebuchadrezzar is from the Assyrian language. So the one letter difference doesn't matter. We all know him as Nebi, right? Same person. Same person. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, makes war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful works that the king may go away from us. Can't you just see Jeremiah banging his head? He's been telling the king all the time, the Lord's not going to deliver us. The Lord's going to let Babylon destroy us. And the king says, well, ask him. Maybe he'll change his mind. Does God change? Hmm. Let's compare this to Jeremiah 18, verse 12. Jeremiah 18, verse 12. When the Lord had Jeremiah preach repentance, the people said, that is of no use to preach repentance to us, he means. Because we will walk according to our own plans and we will walk everyone in the ways of his own evil heart. In other words, what? We don't want to repent. We don't want to change, but we want God to deliver us anyway. He owes it to us. After all, aren't we Abraham's descendants? What does the Messiah say? God can call up children to Abraham from these stones. Verse 3, Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah. And you're going to have to wait till next week to find out why, because time's up. So we will pick up next week, Lord willing, in Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 4, and we'll see how the Lord responds to the king saying, oh, maybe God will just change his mind.